The title of our series this, uh, this month is uh, Squad Goals. Turn to the person next to you and say, Squad Goals. Turn to the person on the other side and say, Squad Goals. Now, if you're not a millennial, you have no idea what this term means, and, uh, or if you're old, and, which I'm not because I know what it means because my kids explained it to me. So what squad goals is a term that uh, this generation is using a lot when they're talking about like, um, like me and my boys, we got a goal to all, you know, to all get abs by the end of the summer. Me and my girlfriends, you know, we've got a goal this year that we're all going to, you know, we're all going to do a marathon. They have these goals. And so we're taking that and we're bringing that into the church. And uh, we actually are defining squad goals as engaging with a group of friends with a purpose of accomplishing something great for God and being the model others will aspire to be to. We just turn to the person next to you one more time and say squad goals. And so when we started, opened up the series last week, we kind of have a, a theme scripture for the whole series. And we're taking this out of the book of Romans chapter 11, verse 14. Paul says it like this. He says, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. So let me explain to you. So Paul was a Jewish guy. And he had gotten saved. He had come to Christ. And God had started using him to reach all the non-Jews, all these Gentiles, if you will. And they're getting radically saved. Man, they're seeing miracles, healings. They're going and getting rid of all their idols and burning all their witchcraft books and all this kind of stuff. But many of the Jews are saying, mm, we're not sure if Jesus was the Messiah. We're not sure. We've got the law of Moses. We've got all these traditional things that we do. And we're, we're not sure. And so Paul's heart is so broken over it that he says, you know what? Gentiles, you know what, uh, Jewish uh, believers, you know what, let's, let's love God so well, and let, when they see how great our life is, they'll be provoked to jealousy. They'll be like, dang, how come you don't get mad at work and cuss everybody out? Jesus, man, I got, man, I got my church, my friends, my small, man, how come you lost your baby and you didn't go and hang yourself? Well, I'll be honest with you, man. Jesus has given me power, and, uh, and I got this small group of people that we do life with, and, 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 and you know, it, it's just awesome. We go out bowling, we go hanging out, we do life together, it's awesome. Provoke them to jealousy. And that's really kind of the theme of this entire series of squad goals. Last week, we went into talking about, you know, uh, you and I having these kind of friends. And we looked at the, um, the passage in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where the paralyzed guy had these four friends. He was paralyzed. He had, he had no way to dress himself. And these four guys ripped open a roof lowered him down so they could get to Jesus, lowered him down. And, and, and Jesus looked at them and said, your faith is bringing this miracle. And I asked the question, do you have friends like this? Do you have friends that would do whatever it took to get you to Jesus? Or are your friends constantly trying you to go back, get you to go back into bars with them? Are your friends constantly calling you and throwing up about how bad marriage is? Do you have the kind of friends that say, you know what? I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you uh, die like that. I'm, I'm going to get you to Jesus. I don't care what I got to do. And that's kind of the theme of this series. And that was last week. This week, our whole theme is together against the tide. Would you say that? Together against the tide. One more time. Together against the tide. Look at Matthew chapter 24. And verse 12, if you'll go ahead and turn on your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12. It says it like this. This is Jesus speaking. He's prophesying about the days in which we live. He says, because evil will grow, most people's love will grow cold. Verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is prophesying about the time in which we live. will grow cold towards God. Priests of wickedness. That there be so much wickedness that literally Christians' love will grow cold towards God. They'll stop loving him with a passion. They'll stop standing up for him. Jesus said it like this, if you're ashamed of me in front of all your friends, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father on that day. And Jesus is prophesying the reason why people's love will grow cold is because of all the increase in wickedness. And I just want to say this. If our great-grandparents 
could see what was happening right now in the United States in which we live, they would be rolling over in their graves. Let me give you a couple of stats. In the last 50 to 60 years, here in the United States, teen suicide has tripled. In the last 50 to 60 years, this report, reported violent crimes has quadrupled. The prison population in the last 50, 60 years in the United States has quintupled. So all the good stuff we're doing, all the technology that we have, all the stuff, we, and we still have more difficulty than we've ever had. The percentage of babies born out of wedlock in the last 50 years has risen in 600%. Couples living together outside of wedlock, outside of being married, has increased 700%. How about this one? Researchers have found that in the last 15 years, there has been a 400% increase in the number of gender reassignment operations in the last 15 years. In March, this last year, how many of you remember March 2019, just a couple months ago, Facebook had this moment where they shut down for like five or six hours. Anybody remember that? Of course you do, because you almost had a nervous breakdown. In that moment, in that five or six hours, porn usage went up 20% in that moment, in that six hours. Because we're a generation addicted to porn and perversion. The, Amer- Amer- the United States of America has the highest percentage of single-parent families in the entire industrialized world, the highest abortion rate in the entire industrialized world, the highest rate of sexual transmitted disease, the highest rate of teen birth, and the highest rate of teenage drug usage, and the largest population of prisoners per capita than any other country in the world. Guys, it's not getting better around here. It's getting worse. Wickedness is increasing. Jesus prophesied it. Again, look back at Matthew 24 with me. Because evil will grow, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I'm trying to raise up a group of men and women who can keep standing and haven't done all to stand, keep standing and not let the tide of perversion and wickedness take us out. And can I tell you, I have learned over the years of ministry and studying the word, the way you stand when you don't feel like standing, the way you don't don't bow when everybody else is bowing is when you stand beside others and not by yourself. As we look throughout scripture, we find that God himself wasn't even alone. God, he had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There was three of them working together. Jesus, when he came to earth, he didn't try to do this thing by himself. He had 12 men that walked the earth with him doing ministry. You and I need others beside us if we're going to stand against the vile and the wickedness that has propagated in our nation and continues to propagate. We need to have friends who love Jesus just like we love Jesus. We need to have people who've got our back. Uh, You know, I've got uh, in the earlier service, a a local pastor came and was visiting, Pastor Vic, and he played professional football. And what I love about his stories, he said, you know, Adam, we would get there and we'd get in that huddle and we'd be down by 10 runs or uh, 10 points or something like that. He said, we get in there and say, come on. We got this. Come on. I'm going to block for you. I got your back. You're going to run around the corner. We're not losing this game. We got it. Come on. We got each other's back. And friend, can I tell you, I meet so many Christians that don't have that experience at all. They got nobody who has their back. You keep trying to make it. And he's like, I just feel like it's so hard, God. I feel like I'm all by myself. Because you are. And what you got to learn to do is come together with the body of believers. You've got to have good Christian friends. You got to have good folks beside you unless you want to bow to the rest of the wickedness that's happening in this world. So with that, let's study. 2,500 years ago, there was a group of young men that stood supernaturally in the face of great wickedness. And I want to kind of highlight their story. We'll be looking in the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel, the first four chapters, we're going to kind of highlight them for just a moment. And we're going to study the life moment with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or as the preacher said, to bed we go. So Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. When you open up the first chapter of the book of Daniel, what you find out is that Israel has been conquered by the Babylonian Empire, along with everybody else. So the Babylonians conquered most of the known world. In this moment that we're studying in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, we find that Nebuchadnezzar is king, and dude, he is rock solid. We find that what they have done is they've taken the top people from each one of the nations that they have conquered, and they brought them to the capital city. And in chapter 1, we see that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been brought into the king's palace as Jewish people. They saw them as young, they saw them as brilliant, and they wanted to begin to brainwash them so that they could be help control the Jewish population that was in the Babylonian kingdom. That was their plan. They're going to make them leaders and governors, but we got to get them loyal to the Babylonian way. And so we see in the process of preparing them to see if they could actually be leaders for them that we have this conflict moment where Daniel and them say, look, we don't want to eat all this stuff and do the way y'all do it. Let us do it our way. And they end up being smarter and brighter than everyone else, and they kind of get a pass because of it. Then we find when we get to, by the time we get to chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar does what a lot of the ancient leaders did. He began to view himself as a god. To be worshipped. When you look back on, on, on Egypt, you find that the pharaohs thought they were gods. They, they would begin to do black ma- magic and stuff like that. and So they literally could move things around in the spirit realm, if you will, b- by way of demonic forces and black magic and so forth. And so in this moment in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar has determined he's a god. So he builds, he builds this idol of himself that is 90 feet high and only as wide as 9 foot. So it's a pole sticking straight up in the air. I mean, it's the size of, of, of a hotel. I mean, it is straight up in, as, as far as the height goes. It's eight stories high. And he, and he covers it in gold, and, 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 and you can see it from, from miles and miles away. Then he declares, all the leaders of all the areas of my kingdom will come to this plain in Dura. And every people will come. Every tribe and tongue will come. And you will bow and declare that I am a god. Now, you got to understand the Babylonians were polytheistic, so they, they worshipped all kinds of gods. They worshipped the sun god. They worshipped the water god. They worshipped the god that helped with the barley harvest. They, they worshipped all these false, non-true gods. And so it wasn't a far stretch for them to say, our king has helped us conquer everything, so he's a god as well. So it comes down to this moment in chapter 3 where they've got everybody out in this place. So I want you to picture you've gone out to East Texas. Have you ever been driving towards Colorado? And there's just like... Nothing. It's flat, right? And a little tumbleweeds come across the road. So you're out in one of these planes like that, if you will, and there's a giant pole with the face of the king kind of at the top of it. And everybody at the front on the stage, and they've got to, you know, as people are arriving, it takes them weeks to get people from all over the, all over the, the kingdom to come. So the day of, you know, there's a little jazz music. We'll be starting our ceremonies in one hour. You know, hot dogs, get your friends up. You know, the vendors are all out there and that kind of stuff. And then it gets down, it starts uh, counting down. It gets to the last moment. And then all of a sudden the MC comes forward. In just a moment, 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 we will all bow before King Nebuchadnezzar in the image of gold, 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 gold. And we will declare that he is a God, God, God. Whoever doesn't will be killed, 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 killed. Guys are in the back room. And all of a sudden they take the music up different. And then they wait for it and all of a sudden they blow the trumpets. That 
that hurt. <laughs> and as soon as the trumpet blows, everybody. <laughs> Can you imagine the sound of millions of people bowing down? Can you imagine all the earrings of all the ladies? I mean, just, I mean, they're just, I mean, they're bowing down. And as they get down on the ground, they begin to worship. Nebuchadnezzar is God. Nebuchadnezzar is God. And as you look across the plain, everybody's bowed except these four little dudes. Now, I want you to picture that moment for just a second. Hey, bro, they about to blow them trumpets. You sure we're not bowing, right? No, no, I'm not bowing. You're not going to bow, are you? No, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Well, you know, we, we're going to die for this. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah, we, well, we definitely ain't going to be in charge of anything anymore. They're going to take away our houses. They're going to take away our families. We're going to lose our, leader position, our position of leadership. Do you know why we have such wickedness in the nation? Because you can't stand against what you participate in. And so they're standing and saying, we will not. We're not going to do it. We're not going to bow. There is no other God except Jehovah. There is no other God. We draw a line. I don't care what everybody says. I don't care what this community says. And this community is propagating what's all out there on social media. That's wrong. And this is right. And if we die for it, we're going to die for it. And so they all bow. And these four little dudes, can you imagine the wind? And all of a sudden, everybody gets quiet. And it's, you know, millions of people just on their Gold shining off the sun, the stick in the air. And there those dudes just standing there. The whole thing comes to an end, everybody goes home. But there's this little group of astrologers who saw them not bow. And they go to the king. And they say, Oh king. What is to be done for those who did not bow yesterday at your ceremony? Because you know they snakes. He said, well, they're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Oh, king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibet we go did not bow. Did you know that? The king's like, no way. That's my boys right there. Like, everything they're in charge of is like working. There's no way. Bring them on in. Like, surely, king, we will go get them. And let's pick up, if you will, right there in verse 16, chapter 3 of Daniel, as the king confronts them and their response. Verse 16 will be on the screen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Notice they're not talking about, he will deliver us from you, oh, wicked, nasty, pervert. They, they show respect from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Listen, king, your sir, your majesty, yes, we did not bow. And we will not bow. And the whole time he's like, I'm going to throw you into my fiery furnace. Now, think about that. What kind of narcissistic person has their own fiery furnace, you know, in their house? I mean, like that dude's like, he's been killing all kinds of people. And so it's just kind of like what they do. And he said, listen, King, we appreciate you, but there is but one God and we will not bow. I believe they had the strength to do that because we see it in there. We will not bow. 
See, I watch people all the time bow to perversion. I watch people all the time bow to what the GLBTQ community is saying. I watch people all the time bow to what this political party or this political, it doesn't, doesn't, what does the Bible say? And they, they'll bow to it because they're like, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know which line I'm on on this kind of thing and this kind of thing. And these guys say, hey, we're not bowing. We don't care if it's popular. We don't care if that's what you think is right. We know that there is but one true God. And he says in his holy word, he will have no other gods before him. And so, sir, even if we die, we're going to die. Even, even if it offends you, we don't mean to offend you, but we refuse to die. We refuse to die. Here's the problem. Most of us are trying to fight that battle by ourselves. And we have nobody linked arms with us standing side by side saying, I'm not doing it. I agree with you. This is what the Bible says. I agree with that too. Let's stand with each other and let's stand against wickedness and let us not bow. But I see so many people just bowing, 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 bowing. Continuing on, let's skip down to, he throws them in the fire. He throws them in the fire and literally waits for them to die. In fact, the Bible says the men who are throwing them into the fire drop down dead because it's so hot. Just standing outside the door of the furnace. As they're trying to get them in, they, they have a heart attack and die because it's so hot. Just Whatever killed them, they all die. They get the door shut. They're in the furnace. We'll drop all the way down to verse 26, and then we'll come back to some other verses. It says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and they didn't even smell like fire on them. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand. And you got to understand, when we stand together, God does things. And so I want to teach you, you and I all need to learn how to stand together. And let me show you, based on what I see in these men's lives 2,500 years ago, this is an actual story of, of, of a group of people who stood against the wickedness. It's kind of like Rosa Parks. Like, I ain't getting off the bus. You are not making me move. I don't care. Enough is enough. It ain't right. It ain't right. All men are made equal in his sight. It ain't right. And so in that moment, in that moment, you understand that as they stood together, there are a couple great things happened. And I want to get you, give you a little bit of vision of this. Number one. When you and I stand together, what it does is give you courage not to bow. When you and I stand together, it'll give us courage not to bow. Back to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want you to know this. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Man, we need some people in this hour who say, you know what? It doesn't matter if everybody says that. The Bible says this, and I'm sorry, we all agree, and we're not bowing. And that means you strip away this and you strip away that. But see, they had the we involved. It's really hard when you and I are by ourselves trying to fight against that wave of perversion, that wave of, 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 of wickedness, that, that wave of, of uh, you know, judgmentalism and all this kind of stuff. But when we have each other, we can say, look, that ain't right, right? No, that's not right. All right, I got you. You got me? Yes, let's do it. And it says, it says literally, they were able to look him in the eye. The reason why? They had courage. Where did that courage come from? Yes, it came from the Lord, but it also came from the fact that they had each other. When I was 19 years old, my small group and I, we decided we were done with how much they were killing babies in our state. And we were from Baton Rouge, and New Orleans was just a, about an hour and a half south of us. And they had opened up that month a brand new abortion clinic, and on Saturdays they were killing almost 1,000 babies in a Saturday. So 
Me and my small group, we decided we're going to go down there. There's some other people had decided. And so before we ended, before, this is even before social media, we ended up with a few hundred people. And we decided we were going to sit out in front of the abortion clinic, right in front of the front door, lock arms, and keep people from going inside. We weren't going to be violent. We were, going to, we were just going to sing, and we were going to pray, and we were going to stand there. I mean, we were going to sit down with locked arms, and, uh, and we were just going to protest the murder of innocent life. And so, because the guy making all the money is who we really are standing, you know, against. You know, the poor ladies are in a situation and not knowing and not understanding. We're standing against all that wickedness of those people lying to those ladies. So we're sitting there, and we lock arms. We understand my best buddy is Brad Turner. And, and dude, he's the biggest bowed-up black dude you ever know. He's like Jamal. So every time I stand next to Jamal, I'm like, Jamal, I love you. I love you so much because you remind me of my best friend in high school, right out of high school, Brad. And so we sit in, and we're sitting there, and we're singing, and we're praying, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then the police are like, look, you guys are trespassing. We go, we know. Well, we're going to have to put you in jail. We're like, okay. And so we locked arms, that kind of stuff, and we locked our hands. And, they, and, and then the police start trying to get us. I mean, they start pulling us apart. And so they get to me. You got to understand, though, Brad's got this arm. And his biceps are as big as my thighs. And so this 300-pound police officer, he's grabbing me. He's trying to do the, the pressure holds and all that with my nose. And he, and he grabs me. He's pulling my head back. And he grabs me like that, got me by the nap of the head. And then he puts his foot on Brad's face. And he starts leaning back, putting all his weight back, and trying to pull us apart. Well, I was like, okay, I'm done. But Brad's like, raw. And he's locked down on that little arm. And I can feel all the tendons going, Rah! And I'm like, Brad, let's just go to jail, bro. Let me go. Like, I'm going to need this. I mean, my, I mean like, I'm trying to get to, like, I can't even pick my nose now. I mean, that, that arm is gone. They finally get us broke apart, and they bring us to jail. So I want to announce to you that, yes, your pastor has been in jail. I want to announce to you that did happen. I've been thrown in the clink. <laughs> Done some time. Did some time. Rough and tough. I want you to know that right now. Don't mess with me. I did a nickel. It's like five hours or something. I think that's only. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. When they close that door, you're like, oh. And then you turn around, and the other guys are like. What you here for? I, uh, well, uh, killing babies. <laughs> You killed babies? No, other people are, and we stopped them. What'd you do? We, we sat on the ground and asked them not to do that nicely. <laughs> and that's when you get looking around like, Brad, you in here with me? Yeah, I'm over here. All right, I'm going to come stand. <laughs> Let's lock arms again. I like that. Feels safe. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, when you're in a tough situation, you want the people of God holding arms with you. I'll tell you, it was the most amazing. Yeah, most amazing. It gives you courage. When you got Christian friends, when you got small group life going in your life, it gives you courage not to bow to everything else. It gives you courage. You're like, look, he's not, he's not leaving his wife. I'm not going to leave mine. She, she, she said that, and she's right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to post that anymore. I don't need to do that. It gives you courage to stand up for what's right. Here's the second thing that standing together does, and it puts God will come up in the midst of you. God will come up in the midst. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. See, man, I just don't feel you, God. I feel all alone. That's right, because you are all alone. The reason why you come to our service, you're like, man, Pastor, when I come here, I just feel God. That's right, because we're all together. He comes into the midst of that. That doesn't mean he's not with you when you're by yourself. It just means when two or three of us come together, his power and glory comes into that. That's amazing. 
It's amazing how that works. Look what happens to him in verse 24. It says, then the king Nebuchadnezzar, this is after he's thrown him into the fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and we threw them into the fire? And, and they replied, certainly, O king. He said, look. It has an exclamation mark. That's why I yelled. Look, I see four men walking in the fire. Now, I, wish you could, I just wish for once that you could go stand in the middle of a burning building and see if you're walking around. In the middle of the fire, he says, I see, I see three, four of them now in the middle of the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Them boys got themselves in trouble. They in the middle of the fire. They about to die. Wait a minute, they're not dying. Not only are they not dying, but all of a sudden they're like, Jesus, what's up? What? What? Jesus, Jesus! I know, right? We ain't even know you yet, man. You're awesome. In the middle, he says, it looks like the sun god. In other words, the fourth person in the fire with you is outshining the fire. The fourth person in the fire will outshine the difficulty that if you will get some good godly friends in your life, Jesus will be up in the middle of that, and Jesus in the middle of that whole scenario will outshine all the wickedness that's coming against your family, outshine all the difficulty that you're going through. You want Jesus in the midst of your problems. And we find him as we gather together. The New Testament church was together. Listen, let me explain something to you. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus the disciples. When God set up his people, Israel, he put them in 12 tribes and then broke them down into family units because we were made to have each other, to have each other's back, to care for one another, to watch out for each other. And I get it. For some of you, you're like, man, I don't want to connect with small group. I went to this other church. They talk bad about me. Friend, that's life. That's life. The only way, can I, t- how did they get to the place where they could stand like this for each other? How did they get to that place? I'm going to tell you. Let's back it all the way up 10, 20 years earlier when they were little dudes going to the same synagogue together. They met each other. They became friends. Got out of high school. Started going to college. This dude started messing with his girlfriend. Like Abednego, we got to talk, bro. That's my girl. I will kill. I will cut you. You need to back off. Oh, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I'm acting a fool. I'm sorry, man. Pray with me. I'm being an idiot. So you got to go through conflict and difficulty and hardship and misunderstanding to bond to the place where we can stand in front of everybody and say, we're not bowing. I was there with you that time that thing happened. What, 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 what? Yeah. All right. I know, I know he won't leave me in the midst of this because we already went through something. We already went through killing a lion and a bear, and now we're not worried about the Philistine. This giant is no big deal. You, haven't, you don't have any legacy with people. You don't have any things that you've gone through with people. When you get to that, what happens is now all of a sudden you can stand because like we were there for each other when that happened. It was small, but it was big enough to, to, to bond us. You don't have any of those kind of relationships. And so as a result, I, I, my small group, I can't tell you how many times when we were going through such darkness that our small group came around us. I, oh, my goodness. I, it's just, I, 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 I remember... It was a Friday night. We were supposed to have a small group at our house. And, uh, and it's like an hour before. And I'm, I'm looking at Jamie. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to have a small group. She's like, you're the pastor. You have to. 
like, I don't want to. It's like, you know, they're going to come. They got all them little, uh, those, those little blessings that destroy my house. I, they go, you know, and always that one weird person who always just talks and won't shut up. And, and then, you know, oh, I don't want to. And I'm, right now, what we're going through right now, I don't want to minister to anybody else. I just don't want to fool with them. And she's like, you already committed to it. You have to. Then the doorbell starts ringing. So I'm like, hey, God bless you. Come on in. Come sit down. And the kids are upstairs playing and stuff. And as more of them come and we start, and, and, they'll, and, and, and I will never forget that one particular Friday night. They're like, Pastor, you okay? Man, it's just been a tough month. Hey, Bill, come on. Let's pray for Pastor in the name of Jesus. I said, man, thank you, guys. And then we, we started sitting and, and someone pulled out a guitar and we started worshiping. All of a sudden, the presence of God was there. Before you know it, they're praying for me. I'm praying for them. We're talking about what's going on in my life. And I realized, wait, I'm not the only crazy one. You're going through something too? Oh, I thought I had demons. Thank you so much for being messed up too. Wow. I, I thought I was the only messed up one in this whole thing. And then, and then this one shares this and that one shares that. Then we all get down on our knees. We're praying for each other. By the time they leave, I'm like, I love you. You want to live with us? You come back. Y'all want to come back tomorrow and do this again? And they're like, no, we got to go home. I'm like, okay. Come get little Junior because he ain't staying. I'm going to tell you that right now. And shut the door, and Jamie's like, well, aren't you just all excited? I'm like, baby, listen, we can take Fort Worth, Arlington. We're going to plant a church in Canada. We got these are the greatest people in the world. And she's like, "Mm mm-hmm. Why? I didn't want to do that until I got in the midst. Because once we came together, his presence came in that space. I didn't want to do it. It was boring and frustrating, and it had so much going. But when we stand together... Jesus comes up in the midst of it. Here's the third thing I teach you when we come together, and that is the attacks, they won't really hurt as bad as you thought they would. They won't really hurt as bad. What does it say? It says, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was, a hair not, uh, nor was there a hair of their heads that, sin, that was singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was not even a smell of fire on them. King James says they didn't even smell like smoke. You know how that is when you've been smoking dope and you're trying to put air freshener all over? Didn't even smell like smoke. Couldn't even smell it on them. Couldn't even smell it on them. That's the painful things. That, can I, when you and I come together, the attacks, the painful things that we go through, they don't have as much impact when we're together. I think about Dorothy Ann and, and her precious family. A couple years ago when in that pregnancy that she had, the doctor's we're doing the sonograms and running blood work, and they came back to her and said to her and Dustin, hey, listen, um, that baby's not going to live. It's missing a such and such chromosome. We, we suggest that before you get much further that you terminate the pregnancy. And they came and sat down with me, and they said, look, we're not telling anybody, but we feel like God told us to go full term. We're not just going to terminate the pregnancy, give God a chance to do a miracle, whatever may, they may have misdiagnosed. We just, I said, I'll stand with you. They did a home birth because they didn't want a bunch of people in the business. That little baby girl, she lived for seven hours. And they called me and I held her little body in my hands and I wept over her and them in their bedroom. Their children were there. They put that baby to rest, a little body, buried her. Next few weeks, just their small group just texting the whole time, we love you, we're praying for you, we got your back, you need anything, back and forth, back and forth. Most people I meet that go through something like that, they don't ever recover. Three weeks later, 
Dorothy Ann was up on stage leading worship for us. People were asking her, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? She goes, I'm okay. I'm okay. It was painful. It was horrible. But it didn't have the same impact because she had a team of people around her saying, we got you. Come on, come on, come on put, your, put your arm. We got you. We can walk this together. No, you're not strong enough to walk this by yourself. We got you. We got you. Because when I'm weak, I'm going to need you. When I'm going through something. And so it doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't hurt as bad. We see that they were thrown in the fire. It didn't even singe them. It didn't even hurt them. They had each other, and then Jesus stepped in the middle of that whole thing. And here's the last and final piece. Well, let me just, I want to show you a picture real quick. Show them the picture of Tony Smogger. So the reason why I want you to see this, because look what this looks like right here. This, was, this is uh, to- Tony and Amy. This is Tony's men from his small group. And some of these guys are small group leaders in his downline. That, this is yesterday at breakfast. This is them just getting together, having breakfast. Look what you see there. You see black folk, white folk, Hispanic dudes. You see guys that come from, you know, a rough background, guys who come from an educated background and, and, and you know, perfect little middle-class home family kind of stuff, all blended in. And what you see right there, you know they've got different political thought processes. They've got different backgrounds and experiences. But look at the smile on their faces. Look what you see. What you see is together. What you see is a squad. What you see is men in a fire fighting for one another, fighting for the things of the Lord. You know, listen, I, all the time, people, just, they want to come to church, they want to hear a good message, and if it's good, they'll give me a little tip and say, go ahead. And then the problem is when they get in a bind, when they get in a problem, they want to call up to the church because, you know, they've been given a little tip here and there, and they expect me to come running and fix it, which I, I do my best to do that. But I don't know them. I don't know their scenario. I haven't walked through little things with them, so, I, so they're hoping I know all that. How could I ever know all that? How could I ever be all that? And we don't even see God setting his kingdom up like that. We don't even see the New Testament church acting like that. They had each other's back. They watched out for each other. They didn't need another high priest. And we keep doing that. We keep trying to make little, little heroes of the preacher people. Look, I'm just like you. I put my britches on one leg at a time, just like the rest of you. I don't float, levitate, and then my pants come on. I'm like, wow, there he is. So I purposefully, I purposefully try to be as authentic as I can from the pulpit. So you go, man, I don't know if he should have said that. But, but that's the same person you get if we go to, to breakfast. The same person you get in Walmart. I mean, I'm the same guy. The reason that is because I want you to understand Jesus is our high priest. We don't need any other go-between between us and God. Jesus, yes, he puts us, he, he, I'm, I'm the pastor, so I'm the quarterback, but I don't even score. You guys do all the scoring. That's my role is to help you score. But you got to understand that if you're not on a squad, if you're not in a team, if you're not in a small group with us, then you're out there by yourself and the enemy's just constantly just pow, pow. I love these movies, these TV shows, these police shows. And they'll get the guys right and they'll put one, interrogate him over there and take the other dude and tell him, you friends over there telling everything that happened. You better tell it first or you're going to end up doing all the time and he's not. He's telling on me? Yes. They got this guy over here. Your friend over there, he's just spilt the beans. And he's going to get, the DA's going to give him a break. And you're going to go down for the, he's telling on me. Why do they, they divide him up. They don't put him in, listen, in real life, they don't put you in the same room with your buddy who y'all just robbed a place and said, what do you think, what what happened, guys? They separate you. That's what the enemy does. He wants to separate you out. Because there's strength in numbers. Someone having your back, someone fighting beside you. Here's the last and final thing you need to understand is that when we stand beside each other, when we come together, it'll actually cause there, it'll cause you to affect change around you. It'll cause you to affect change around you. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, verse 28, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants 
They trusted in him and defied. Look, they didn't even listen to me. They didn't serve God and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Verse 29. Therefore, so the king of Babylon, those of you that are history buffs, Babylonian empire, the king, because of these little four, three little Hebrew boys, makes a decree. Makes a decree. Now, this isn't just biblical. This, this is historical. He makes a decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses turned into a pile of rubble for no other God can save in this way. They affected change because they stood together against the tide of wickedness for their generation. I wonder if our grandkids will inherit a nation that's more wicked than what we have right now. I wonder when the church will actually come together shoulder to shoulder. See, can I just say something? If you'll you'll find three other dudes, if you'll get connected in small group life with us and have two or three other, what, what that'll do is you don't realize this, but it'll affect their children. And because you're together, loving Jesus, sir, you and your wife with this other group of Christians, because of that, you're not going to end up, you, you don't have to chase after this world system and, and cheat on your wife and run off, which will affect your children, which will affect their children, which will change the cause of all the difficulties that we see in these family downlines. It'll break the cycle of, of difficulty. If you could just come alongside some other people and say, I need help, guys. I really struggle with my, with my temper. I, I, just, I need some other bros beside me. I love God. And, and, all right, I got you back, man. And, and every time you have that, I'm, you tell your wife to text us. We're going to come over to the house and whoop you. I mean, come talk to you. If, if we had those kind of relationships, what it would do was our children would be different. Our neighbors would be different. We would start to affect what's around us. The job place where all this messiness is happening for some of you. If you knew you had bros that had your back and, and you're texting, hey guys, I'm going to go talk to the boss today. I think I'm going to stab him. I need y'all to pray. If you had, no, don't do that. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's the scripture. It says, be angry and sin not. And, um, and back and forth. That would affect all the people you work with. See, we can cause change. We can cause change. It's like that old, that old grandpa and his son were, grandson were walking down the beach one summer day. And the tide had pushed all the, all the starfish up on the shore. And they're all dying. That, that early morning tide had done that. And so they start picking them up and throwing them back in the water, saving their life, saving their life, saving their life. The little boy, is about four years old, and he gets tired after about 100 yards. He looks down as far as you can see his, his starfish. He pulls on his grandpa. He says, there's no way. There's no way we can make a difference. His grandpa picks up one. Throws it in the water. He said, well, we made a difference in that one. I don't know, even just based on prophecy, if the whole United States will become Christian one day. But I know that the little kid down the street, his life could be changed. And I know that your children and your family unit could be changed. I know that if we could link arms, it'll keep us from bowing. And we can stand against the wickedness that is so prevalent in our, in our generation and we can make a difference for those around us. Would you stand with me all across the room? You guys have been so gracious. You listened so fast this morning, which is so wonderful. Thank you for not listening slow. It's been tough sometimes. 
want you to kind of bow your heads with me across the room, close your eyes, just kind of create a, a safe place for you to hear God's voice. I want you to talk to your Savior. I want you to have engagement with the God that loves you. This series is not a, a little fun series that we took from somebody else. This is the heartbeat of Church on the Hill. I know that I know that I know that if you could just have some good Christian friends and you could start developing relationships, there'll be hard times. But I just know that if you, can, if you can get close with some other Christians, that you could stand against all the wickedness that's upon our generation. Just living this way. I, see this, I know it. I see it in the scriptures. I see Jesus living this way. I see the early church living this way. And I recognize the tactics of the demonic forces in our generation to isolate us. I know his plan to cause us to divide by way of races, then the divide by way of age, and then the divide up and, and be angry by way of political views. I'm watching this happen. Church, we're the solution. We're the solution. I just showed you 10 men sitting at breakfast, different political backgrounds, different views on how to raise their kids. Each one of them probably experiencing racism on some type of level. They're sitting around the table loving each other, fighting for each other, developing a relationship with each other, laying down some, laying down some time together, which then builds the courage. So when the crazy moments happen they know he's got my back he's got my back he won't run away no matter what I'm going through right now because he was there that last time he was there with that little thing so I know he'll be here in this big thing and as a pastor I concern myself with the fact that so many of us don't have those kind of friendships those kind of relationships I'm so passionate about it because Jesus was passionate about it I don't want to set up a church that's full of programs and not relationships. I don't want to go out and reach the world and fall apart within ourselves. I don't want to talk a talk and not walk a walk. I, I know that the key element is that we do what Jesus said, love God and love people. If we can do that, then all the wickedness is trying to destroy our families the way we think, what the Bible says, we can stand against it. And we can do like these boys. We don't have to, we don't have to be vile. We don't have to be angry. I have to talk bad about people. We can say, listen, I, I, we just won't bow to it, though. I, I, I'm sorry. I just won't bow to it. We've decided we're not doing that. With your head bowed and your eye closed, if you feel by yourself, you can change that. This church will help you. If, if you've pushed people away, it's time to ask the Lord to help you. If, you. if you're scared of trusting people with your junk, I've been there. I know what that's like. It's time. It's time. I guarantee you've got 25 reasons why. I know it. I've used all those as well. But where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. Come on, church, we got to be together. We need each other. We need the kind of friendships that have been through some things, been mad at each other. There's not a football team that's on the planet that hadn't all but wanted to kill each other. Not been a band ever assembled that's any good that doesn't talk about the times where they, 
where they just couldn't stand each other. You got to go through that to get that deep bond so that you can stand in that moment when everyone else is bowing. Say, no, no, we won't. We got each other's back. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for the men and women of Church on the Hill, those watching by way of live stream. Lord, I pray right now that, Lord God, that something would stir past the fear, the Lord, a courage to, to be in relationship with other men, other women, other couples, other singles, other young people. God, I pray that that would just start stirring and the revelation that, God, you are not even by yourself. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three of one, you're so unified that you're one God, but yet you're three parts. Jesus, when you came to the earth, you didn't even, you didn't even walk around by yourself. You entrusted yourself to 12 other men. Jesus, I pray that you would help us get past the lies of isolation. Lord, I pray Lord, the, the, the broken places of what relationships have done to us, the broken parts of our heart that past relationships have created, the insecurity to trust again, to believe again. Lord, that you would heal that in this holy moment of what bad, that a desire for what's good would overwhelm the fear of what bad transpired in the past. God, I ask you now, liberate us. Liberate us from loneliness. Liberate us from being by ourselves, trying to be Rambo for our generation. God, I pray right now that you would begin to bring forth supernaturally relationships. Put your head bowed and your eye closed. I'm asking the Lord, would you ask the Lord, say, Lord, get me some good friends out of this church. Help me connect with them. Would you just ask the Lord for that right now? Lord, help me, help me find those relationships that I need that I, that, that'll connect with me. God's going to have to do it. We keep trying. We keep doing all kinds of things. I mean, we're playing games during the summertime just to get your interest sparked. But God's going to have to do it. All of our well-laid plans will never, never cause you to connect right. Father, I pray right now, supernaturally, that men and women would meet each other here in these services and then develop friendships that work on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Saturday in the Saturday night when they used to go out clubbing now a group of friends that go out bowling God I pray right now in Jesus name for those kind of relationships that, that go beyond our cousins our children, our grandchildren the kind that we can be brutally honest with and stand with against the tide of wickedness thank you Jesus now if you keep your head bowed for just a moment I want to give a call to anyone that might would say, Pastor, i got to be honest, I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. Listen, I want you to know something. Your heart has to be towards God or you wouldn't have come here today. So you're not that far off. Maybe you say, Pastor, I, I used to be a Christian, but stuff happened. I've walked away from God and I just, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. Well, i got such good news for you. Jesus said it like this. He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. You don't have to give money to the church for him to accept you and love you. The Bible says just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. The expectation is by that confession, by that believing, that it's a, it's a, it's a life change, that you decide I'm done. I'm tired of living the way I've been living tired of running away from God. The old preacher said it like this. There's a door between you and Jesus. You got to open 
let him in, but the doorknob's on your side. You have to turn the knob and let him into your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I'm away from God. I want to be right with God tonight. Then I want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. That's why everybody's head is bowed and every eye is closed. But I need you to admit this to yourself, to God, to me as the pastor. And here in just a moment, if that's you, I'm going to get you just to lift your hand. And then I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray with you right where you stand. So if that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I want to be a Christian. I want my life to change here and now. Would you just lift your hand if that's you? And I want to pray with you. Thank you, sir. Thanks for your honesty. Yes, ma'am. Give two or three more seconds. Thank you. Who else? Pray for me, Pastor. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready. I want Jesus in my life. Thank you, sweet love. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for being real. I love to be around real people. Authentic people. One more second. Anybody else, Pastor? It's time. I need God. Okay, yeah, you can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Remember, he said, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to mean this from the depths of your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the congregation to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hand. And those who raised your hand, I want you to mean it from the depths of who you are. Say it like to say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I ask you now, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. And Jesus, now, I repent to you. And I ask you, come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now for those who prayed that prayer. I pray they would sense forgiveness right now. Lord, that you would shake loose shame and guilt your word says that there's a joy the joy of our salvation I pray right now the joy would begin to bubble up inside of them I pray they would feel and sense the joy and the love of God I pray Lord God that they would know that they know that they know that they're yours and then Lord God that you're with them and then Lord when the when they stumble when they maybe sin again that they would get up and say you know what I may not be perfect but I am forgiven and Lord, I pray, Lord God, when the lies come, oh, you didn't really mean that. And they'll be able to say, wait a minute, you know what I did? Because I belong to Jesus. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. Lord, I thank you that this prayer was just a ceiling of what you were already doing in their life. And that, Lord, they'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. And all God's people shouted, amen and amen.